from the streets of Cincinnati. Welcome to the... Okay, I guess we're going to start early because the computer froze up. <laughs> What's up, guys? Welcome to the show. This is Sports with Strawberry Ice. I'm your host, the Ice Band, Jeff Trenopal. And as always, I'm bringing you sports from a west side point of view right here in the great city of Cincinnati, Ohio, home of the AFC North champion Cincinnati Bengals. Now, do me a favor. If you found the show, hit that like and subscribe button. Smash that thumbs up. I'm up to 1,584 subscribers. You guys are awesome. I appreciate every single one of you guys. Now, if you're watching on Facebook or Twitter and you have yet to subscribe to my channel, I always ask the same question. Why not? Please do so. Please go to the YouTube channel, Sports with Strawberry Ice. Hit the subscription button. Hit the bell for the notifications. And every time I go live, you'll be notified. Also, exclusively in the YouTube chat crew, we are doing super chats. So if you guys got any NFL analytics questions for Kent today, a.k.a. Math Bomb, Give us a super chat. I would greatly appreciate it. And as always, I'm coming to you live from the Ice Cave. And the Ice Cave is brought to you by T-Properties. T-Properties, quality housing for quality people. Check out the website at www.tpropertiesllc.com for all your rental property management needs and your rental needs. All right. I'm going to hit another button here. Let's see if this works. Well, let's get the get Kent here. All right, Kent. That one go. worked. <laughs> How you right. doing, buddy? Good, man. How are you? Good, good, good. I'm glad you were able to come on the show. I, I always like getting different uh, different guests and different points of view and stuff. And and you come from a very different uh, uh, background. You're you're a Navy guy. You're an NFL uh, analytics person. I'll let you explain what your background is. So, yeah, you mentioned I was, I was a Navy guy. I, I got in the Navy right, out of, right outside of high school and spent a good deal of time there. Um, I've been working, writing about football, doing football stuff for about a decade now. I started relative athletics course back in 2013, expanded in 2017, um, which that's, you know, the, the analytics, the measurements and all that stuff that I do. Um, I started working for Pro Football Network and stopped writing a little over, gosh, it's almost been two years now. Um, and I run the uh, mock draft simulator at Pro Football Network now as well on top of all the other analytics stuff that I do. So draft time, man, this is this is my time, right? Right. Right, exactly. Like I said, like I said, I said we're going to geek out here because we get get all the numbers and all all, all the uh, cool uh, draft stuff here. So, all right. So this is a Bengals uh, uh, podcast here. So where are you at with the Bengals as far as the numbers goes of of the of who they could draft and where they could draft and stuff like that? Yeah, the Bengals could go any number of ways, man. It's a very talented team. You've already got your quarterback set, so you're just going to be working at building around them. Uh, Bengals offensive line for the last couple of years they haven't had the most athletic offensive line in some time it would be nice to start to see them to change that a little bit and I think that that would be a welcome change for a lot of a lot of Bengals fans to be able to see them them pulling some guys that really maybe move a little bit better 
um, maybe provide a little bit more protection for Joe Burrow. Um, that's their primary need for me. And I've been, you know, whenever we talk about the Bengals, that's usually the first thing that comes up is, you know, is there a tackle that they can take? Um, I've seen center brought up quite a bit too, is if there, if there's a guy that they can look at in, in those two positions, primarily on the line. Um, there's still some needs on defense too, some, some potential secondary needs in the safety, um, interior defensive line could use a little bit of work, but, um, a lot of, a lot of talent. It's just a little scattered. Yeah, exactly. Now you brought up center and I am a huge Tyler Linderbaum fan. Um, I went from believing he's not going to be there at 31 to now thinking there's a chance. Now, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure, but I am because of, of the versatility of Ted Karras that they signed him and he's able to play left guard, which actually I think he's a better left guard than he actually is a center. And Tyler Linderbaum is, is he's a center only. So I think that's going to be, make it harder for other teams to draft him. He also fits the Bengals uh, zone blocking scheme perfectly. So that's where I'm like, I think he's the perfect guy to go get. Now, if one of the tackles or, or somebody's there, obviously you would go get, get them and you just keep Karras at, at center. But what is your, your thoughts on uh, Linderbaum moving forward? Yeah, Linderbaum came out. He's, he, he was projected to be one of the most athletic linemen in the class. Uh, he wasn't able to test initially. He was still working through some things at his, at his, uh, at the combine. Um, he worked out much later. Um, and he he only put up the best cone time by a center ever when he finally did test. So he's definitely an athletic guy. He's on the smallest side for an offensive lineman and even for a center, which are generally the smallest of the, the three main positions on the line. So size isn't his thing, but he's got tons of quickness and explosiveness. Um, we've been seeing this out of Iowa linemen for forever. I mean, this is this is why these guys gen generally tend to be plug and play guys all over the NFL because they 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 build them up, they 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 breed out that, that athleticism, breed it out. They bring <laughs> out that athleticism for these guys, um, and they re it really shows up on film. I mean, you watch Tyler Lindebaum, and the guy just he just coasts. You know, he's he's a very easy mover when he's on the field, um, and that would be a welcome addition, I think, to the middle of that line. Now I have a question. The, the the knock against him is his short arms. And and Bengals fans, we hear that. First thing you think of is Billy Price and, and how that didn't work out for, for the Bengals there. I personally think Linderbaum has done a good job of of working with his disability or whatever you want to call it, short arms. But what's your thoughts on how he how he, he counteracts the short arms of uh, uh, being able to work with that? And whenever we're talking about arms, and this is actually true of height as well, we're not really paying attention to their arm length and to their height. We're paying attention to length. Length is the thing that matters in the NFL. And if a guy has shorter arms, but he's really explosive, your arm length doesn't really matter all that much. Uh, because it you, you see it as a problem when guys with shorter arms will lunge. They'll lunge at, de at defensive linemen, and they won't be able to get their hands on them. So they, they spend a lot of time... Um, removing or changing their center of gravity in a negative way when they're trying to reach for guys. And that causes problems. Uh, you don't really see that with Linderbaum. And I think a big reason for that is because he's such an explosive athlete, he's able to, to minim minimize that length issue that he has just from his, from his arms being a little bit shorter. Now I know with Billy Price, I, and you're talking about the, where, where uh, they bend and, 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 and get the leverage and everything. And I think that was a lot of uh, what I heard from Billy Price. I think if I'm getting this right. He bent more at his waist instead of his hips. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's usually what you see for guys that have that have to do that, that have to lunge. Um, you'll sometimes see it with guys who have longer arms, but just aren't as quick and as explosive because they're they're trying to make up for that 
that lack of of length, which is part of your explosiveness and your arm length. Right. It all kind of works together. So um, if you have both, fantastic. But if, if you don't have one, you got to make up for it with the other one. But I think that the thing at the knock on Linderbaum too was that he he wasn't as athletic. But then he went to his pro pro day and killed it, and now he's considered extremely athletic. Which I I think I always find it funny how during draft season, okay, he's not this, okay, he is this. All right, it just goes so back and forth, and sometimes I just feel that sometimes you just need to watch the tape. I mean, if you see the guy playing the Big Ten, he was mauling dudes. So I mean that that's. I'm not, I'm no draft expert or anything. I, you know, I'm just the host of a, of a very small uh, podcast here, but I, I think I, I just, think that's the interesting thing. Just this time of year of how guys drop and, 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 and move up without even playing it games. And a lot of it, man, if a guy's athletic, it shows up on tape there. There's nobody that, that tests out, you know, as some kind of ridiculous freak athlete, that doesn't show up somewhere on tape, right? You're going to see that. You're going to see that explosiveness, that quickness. I mentioned the smoothness, the way that he moves. You see that stuff on tape. The testing is just confirming that kind of stuff and really showing you, is this guy who I think he is? And it's checking boxes. If, if a guy looks athletic on tape, he's a good mover, he looks explosive, and then he tests that way, great. Check it, move on, move on, right? Right. Um, if he tests, if he looks like that, and then he tests way above expectations, that's when you start going, oh, wow, this is this is a little bit different than what I expected. Um, we saw that with Jordan Davis at the Combine, who wasn't just athletic. He was one of the most athletic players in the history of ever. Fast which is hell, just, too. <laughs> it's just crazy, right? That wasn't expected. Right. So we knew he was athletic. We didn't know he was that level of athlete. Um, when you watch a guy on tape and he looks, he looks athletic and then he doesn't test well, now you have to go back to the tape and you have to think, am I missing something? Is this something I was wrong about as an evaluator? Or are the numbers not really that much of a concern? And that's where you get into the style of play. You look at a guy like Traylon Burks, the wide receiver out of Arkansas. You know, he had got a lot of flack for his combine because some people really expected him to test just off the charts. Um, a lot of folks didn't, though. A lot of folks were looking at him as a guy that wins through, you know, power and, and uh by, by his physicality and the way that he uses his size to box out players as a receiver. And his testing doesn't really show anything wrong when you look at him that way. So if you're evaluating him and you think that's he isn't a guy that wins with speed, he doesn't win through quickness, and then he doesn't test fast or quick, then you don't care. It's, it's still checking a box because he's not slow. He wasn't below your expectations. So it isn't just about getting those elite scores. They look great on a scorecard. I love seeing the big, you know, the green numbers and all that stuff. That's all fantastic. But uh, if a guy doesn't win in those ways, who cares? Nobody nobody cares if Wayne Gretzky is a great race car driver. He's, he wasn't a race car driver. <laughs> right, he didn't care. Right, right exactly. He was good at what he did. Yeah, he, he was really good at what he did. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Matthew here. He uh, got an interesting question. He said, would you still take a QB if he has little hands? Forget about short arms. <laughs> this is where we get into the, the the picket debate, right, about whether or not people are looking at, at Joe at Burrow, picket. too. I and mean, Joe Burrow. Yeah. So Joe Burrow was a little bit different because his hand size was a little bit below average, right? The average uh, hand size for a quarterback is just, just about nine and a half inches. inches. Burrow had nine. Uh, previous examples of quarterbacks with that kind of hand size had really bad problems with fumbles. Lions have Jared Goff. That's a great example. He's always struggled with fumbles and ball security. You see that a lot with guys like that. And there's a, a difference in ball size going from college to the pros. 
So the question is whether or not they can grip a football, which is why at the Senior Bowl, a lot of the coaches that were talking to, to Kenny Pickett, they would just have him grip a football and show him that he could do so. And when he was throwing, they're paying attention. Can he throw with velocity? Can he throw with a nice spiral? And if he can, then they're not going to care about the hand size as much. Right, right. So the question is less, are you going to take him just based on that? If you if the answer is yes or no, then you're just you're just doing it wrong. Right. Uh, the question is, is it going to be a problem? Right. And if you look at him and you dig deep enough into it and check to see if that's the case, cool, move on. If it isn't a problem, then you don't care about the hand size. Right, exactly. And I do think that's that is to me that's <laughs> if the guy has small hands, yeah, obviously, I to me in my head, yeah, obviously, you tell him go throw a football. <laughs> can, can he throw it or not? Does it, does it, does it spin good or not? I mean, to me, that would be the most obvious thing to do, but sometimes I think in this draft process, they get so deep and in, in the weeds and everything. They, they, they have think themselves sometimes when it comes to just, just silly stuff like that. Yeah. And that's where it's, it's a little bit different with Kenny Pickett because it was such an extreme. He measured him with eight and a half inch hands, which would be the smallest recorded from a first round pick ever. If he's taken in the first round, I believe Michael Vick, had that. Um, but he also had problems with ball control in college in one of the only games where he didn't wear gloves. And mind you, this is a guy whose nickname was Kenny two gloves because he wore two gloves on his hands. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, but in one of the games where he didn't wear any gloves, he dropped the ball a lot. He put the right. ball in the dirt completely untouched. That's that's problematic. That's a worry when you're looking as an evaluator. But that was also years ago. And if you got a problem, you fix it. He wears multiple pairs of gloves. It's a funny joke. It's a nickname. But if it works, right? who cares? Right, exactly. I mean, I remember one of the first quarterbacks I remember wearing gloves uh, back in the day was Jimmy, Jimmy McMahon and I, of the uh, 85 Bears. Now, I don't know if he wore them because he had small gloves or he just thought it was cool. But he was <laughs> one of the first ones. Because I remember, I think in the Super Bowl, he was wearing gloves indoors and everybody's like, well, that's weird. Why are you doing that? But uh, it was Jimmy man. So who knows <laughs> <laughs> now I have a question for you. Now I know um, uh, Joe Goodberry kind of brought this up on, uh, I think it was locked on Bengals. I can't remember. Now he was talking about the Georgia defense. Now us Bengals fans would love if, if, uh, if Wyatt Davis is, is, is there. Um, I don't know if he's going to be there or not. Now he was saying it's kind of hard to judge uh, Georgia's pass rush because um, because of the way that Georgia um, rushes. You know, they don't they don't rush as much for the outside. They're more of trying to contain the quarterback. Now, how do you, if you go back and watch film and study that stuff, how do you figure out if they can do that? I mean, they tested really good in the um, combine. How does that translate from what they did in the combine, what you're seeing on tape, and trying to figure out if they can actually do more than what you saw because it looks like uh, Georgia wouldn't let them do everything they, they could actually do. And that's the trick as an evaluator, man. We, we, we talk about it every year because there's always one or two guys. seems like there's a whole bunch of them this year. But there's always somebody that has that, that traits before talent question, right? Whether or not they're just a traitsy guy or whether they've been able to show that a lot in school. This is why we have a guy like Aiden Hutchinson who's considered a safer pick or even George Karlaftis versus somebody like Trayvon Walker who isn't considered a safe pick. Well, he's a better athlete. And he comes from a better defense. Why don't we consider him a safe pick? He's not asked to do those things. So he doesn't show a lot of the really positive traits on film. So the question becomes, do you think he shows enough to show that you can develop that? You start looking at history. You look at guys like Daniil Hunter, who went to Minnesota, 
Daniel Hunter had no pass rushing talent at, in college football. He was a bad pass rusher. He had like one move, which was lean into guys and kind of push at them, which isn't really a move. That's that's what you would call not a move, right? Um, but he went to a, a coach in Mike Zimmer who was able to develop him and understand that he could do something with those athletic traits. And this is where character comes into it too, because if you have a guy that wants to learn, that wants to develop, wants to pick up these talents, and he has the physical talents to do so, you can make it work. Um, that's going to be the problem. And that's where you get the, you find the differences between good evaluators and bad evaluators. Landing spot is very important. Right. Oh, exactly. Yeah, the scheme doesn't fit. I mean, I'll, I'll put that with, with Lamar Jackson. I mean, if you draft him as a quarterback, like the, the and I call them the Ratbirds, the Baltimore <laughs> Ravens did here, they completely changed their, their scheme and everything to, to fit what Lamar does. If they didn't do that, then I don't think Lamar Jackson would be as successful as he did, just like the Atlanta Falcons did back in the day. So so the scheme has to fit the player. And that goes back to Linderbaum, where I'm like, to me, the scheme fits the player perfectly for what, what his skill set is, what he does, and what we run here. That's why I'm like, I really – I hope he's going to be there. And that's why I'm still like – there's a, I think there's a good shot that he could be. Yeah, Linderbaum's a weird one to project, and and the fact that he's had such a weird draft process to begin with has kind of made it even tougher to project him. But yeah, if your team runs a zone blocking system, ask your your center to be on the move quite a bit, and ask him to to pull during different kinds of run plays and things, you can't get much better than a guy who has that kind of athletic talent who can move. Because if you're going to ask him to do that, you're asking him to take advantage of the things you know he can do. Great, do that. Um, you have a smaller center who's known for being quick and agile. Don't man him up against the nose and just say, go forward. That's that's not what you do. You try to, to, to use a guy to their strengths, right, and, and try to build on their weaknesses so they can get better at them. But you want to use them how they're supposed to be used. You know, right. we, had, we had a joke when Calvin Johnson was still playing for the Lions that he could probably play running back, and he could have. <laughs> right. And he could have. He was talented enough to do it, but why would you – do that that would be a waste of his talents same concept in a, in a little bit more generalized fashion yeah we have that here with, with jamar chase i mean he they can put him at right right back and the 49ers have kind of sort of done that with, with debo where they, they've put him not exclusively as running back but they have put him back in the, in the backfield and that's kind of an interesting way to to you use him and I, I think the Bengals might do that tomorrow but to your point you don't want to put him out back there all the time because he's just going to take wear and tear and get beat up and you know, who knows what would happen. So let's get to uh, John Wick's uh, question, or I guess statement here. He goes, I know uh, Johnny Woods has a 10 RAS score, but he doesn't look athletic on the field. And this is where it comes to whether it's just athletic talent or whether a guy can be developed. Um, Jelani Woods is a really good example because the question becomes, why didn't you see more of that in college? Why didn't we see him doing more of those athletic things? Why did he have to go from one school to another? It's also why things like medical evaluations are so important because there's some injury history there you also have to take into consideration. Um, it's why we're not looking at Jelani Woods as a first-round prospect despite his testing because you can't use that as your only point of evaluation. There has to be other stuff that goes into it. When you have a player that tests really athletically and they don't really look like they were that good of an athlete, you have to ask yourself why. And sometimes it can just be that they're not very technically refined. Sometimes it can be that they're not they're just not in it. They just don't have that mentality that makes them want to go out and get and get hit every couple of plays, you know? 
Some guys don't like that contact. You can be quick and fast. I remember when Mike Gesicki came out, he had some questions about that because Gesicki was considered soft when he came out. Um, as athletic as he was, he didn't like getting hit. He didn't like mixing it up as a blocker. Um, he's turned into a pretty good pro for the Dolphins. But when he was coming out, that was the big question is, is that going to translate once you get into the pros? Because he had problems with that when he was in college. Uh, with Jelani Woods, he's just so big. It's not just that he's really fast and has quickness and stuff. He's huge. He's gigantic, even for a tight end. And when you have a guy that has that athletic talent, you know he can do those things. The question is, can he do them consistently? And do you believe that you can coach him up to do it consistently? And that's where you start looking at, well, where do you value a guy like that in the draft? Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's see here. Let's get to Dale's question here. He said, uh, who are the players in the last five years that a phenomenal RS RAS score that you thought would translate but didn't or hasn't yet? Oh, gosh, there's so many guys that have had, you know, one reason or another guys that get hurt and struggle that way. Um, you know, there's you, you can't really hold that kind of stuff against people. Um, but not everybody does. Some guys have no injury history and you're wondering why you're not really seeing any more of it. Um, Leighton Vanderash came out of Boise State back in 2018. He tested phenomenally. He was drafted in the first round by the Cowboys. And he started off really strong and then some – minor injury stuff started to really slow him down and that athleticism just got sapped so quickly and you just don't see that on the field all that much anymore um i think the biggest example though that where you never really saw it was Taven bryan out of mm-hmm. florida in 2018 same draft um Taven bryan had all the athletic talent in the world the questions were whether he was motivated enough whether you could coach him to actually use that talent on a football field and so far, it has not been a yes. You haven't been able to see that much <laughs> at all. Um, it, sometimes it takes a few years. Um, we saw that with Rashawn Gary for the Packers. It took a couple of years for him to really get you know, put things together and really start using it. But it's always disappointing when they never do. Right, right, exactly. And the thing is, I mean, you're going to get some of the stuff wrong. I mean, it's just everybody yeah. does. It's life. It happens. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, but- most people fail. Most people fail in the NFL. We, we, we want to talk about hit rates and stuff like that, but most draft picks fail. You know, we have about 2,000 players in every draft class. There's less than that in the NFL right now. There's fewer active players than, are, than there are players who come out every single year. So the actual fail rate for an NFL prospect is ridiculous. And people, people pay attention to the draft, which only has 250 players, but there's way more than that that never even see the field right well i mean and there's guys that that get drafted that don't make it and there's guys who go undrafted and have a seven-year career you know it just it's it is really throwing darts at a dartboard you do the best excuse me you can to try to figure it out with with the tools that you're given and 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 guys like you put put all this stuff out there and and i you put a lot of a lot of work into a lot of effort and and this is what the nfl scouts and everything do too this is what they have to do all the time grind out look at these guys and that's one thing with the uh the Bengals scouting i think they've done an actual really good job the last couple of years here since like 2020 they hit on almost everybody and typically the Bengals have gotten knocked on for having a smaller scouting department and i kind of look at it this way it's not necessarily uh 
quantity of scouts, but more of quality of scouts. And I think the Bengals have done a good job of that. Now, question, do you think it's better to have more opinions or less opinions? It really depends on who your decision maker it is. And I don't want to, I don't want to sound like this is hedging my bets here on what an answer is, but mm-hmm. if you have a, a general manager who values getting as much input as possible, but trusts his decision makers, the guys who really make those decisions, then you want to get as many opinions as you can. You want to get as many of those voices in a room as you can. So you can get as many opinions and try to formulate as educated an opinion as you can get. But there has to be some conviction for what actually matters and who's going to make the decision and who gets to say, this is the guy that we're going to go with. Here's the reasoning why. Here's the information that I've taken to get there. When you have a smaller crew, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have a general manager who doesn't do that. It could just mean that you have a general manager who doesn't really want to hear all that noise. Sometimes they just want to have you know, okay, I trust this guy to get these things. And this is what I'm looking for. Go do that. Bring me that back. Right. Because you don't, you don't necessarily need to overcomplicate everything. Sometimes like, let's say you're looking for a nose tackle. You know, I don't, I don't really care how much of a great pass rusher he is if it's a nose tackle. And that might seem bad to a lot of people. We always ding nose tackle. Jordan Davis got hit with this year, with this year. Travis Jones did as well, even though both of those guys are nose tackles. You know, it's great when you have a nose tackle that can also rush the passer. But if you just need a nose tackle for your defense and you're thinking, well, we're going to spend a day three guy, a day three pick on a nose tackle, that stuff doesn't really matter. It, it's helpful. It's a plus, but it's noise if you're not really looking for it. If you're not willing to spend that kind of a pick on it, why do you need to spend the time and effort going out and getting it? You have a quarterback like Joe Burrow. Do I need to go scout every single quarterback that's coming out of this draft? Is it really necessary right, to right. go do that? Um, sometimes you just need to get the basics and that's fine. You're, you're removing noise. So it comes down to preference and the type of general manager you have, the type of decision maker you have that's trying to get those picks. Um, me personally, I love having as much information as possible. Clearly I love data <laughs> <Right>. points. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You can tell. Now, funny you brought up the jackpot Joey Burrow there. I remember back in 2020, <laughs> it still cracks up. There, there was still a slight debate amongst Bengals fans of who you draft in number one. You draft Joe Burrow or you're drafting um oh my goodness, I forget his name. That's how important it was to me. The uh why uh, the defensive end out of Ohio State that year. Um I can't remember his name right now. Um anyway, there there, there was a small debate of which one you, you would draft there. And I'm like, you draft the quarterback. You know, did you see him play? I mean, he like why would you? I mean, you in the NFL, you want you need that quarterback, you need that toy, you need that piece. And that sometimes goes to me is where people are overthinking it. Like, well, we got this, but we need a defense. And you know, and so that's where for me anyway, I like information, but sometimes you, you my your eyes don't deceive you. you. You can see, you know, what what the player does. And but there's nothing against getting all the information. I I I enjoy that too, but for me it's just I don't know. I I, I uh Steal a Marvin Lewis thing. I, I, I see better than I hear. <laughs> All right, let's get to uh, Rob here. All right, he says, everyone's praising Debo Samuel, but he was a 400-yard receiver in his first two years. It's definitely that designed offense that the 49ers employ. You think he's a part of the system for the 49ers? Or is he that good? I think he's that good, but it, you, you can never – separate system from player we we want to talk about guys that are are universal you could put a plug them into any offense and and you'd be totally fine with them 
Uh, it's the same for every quarterback. We, we, if you, you hear guys say, oh, he's a system quarterback. That was the thing against Tom Brady forever. Every quarterback in the NFL is a system quarterback. Right. And if you think they're not, you're just miss, you're missing what teams are doing. Right. Nobody's going to draft. You mentioned Lamar Jackson. Nobody's going to draft Lamar Jackson and be like, okay, we are going to run a straight uh, in, in the pocket passing offense like we did with Peyton Manning. No, you're not. You're not doing that. Because in general, no NFL decision, decision maker is that stupid. No coach is that stupid. And the player would be like, that's not what we're doing. Like, we're not, we're not going to do that. You're, you're using me wrong. That player would want out immediately. Um, <laughs> nobody really does that. It's the same for every position. Everybody has something they're good at. Um, I talked about Namdi Asamoah a couple of days ago and how Namdi Asamoah at one point was considered the best or second best cornerback in the NFL with, with Darrell Rivas, just a different type. Darrell Rivas was much better getting the interceptions getting those, those big splash plays and Asamoah just erased people from the football field. And people had this big debate about which was better. And then Asamoah switched systems. He went to Philadelphia and he went from being one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL over a, a five or six year span to one of the worst immediately. Right. Mm -hmm. And it really highlights how important scheme can be. Receivers are no different. If you have a, a coach come in that wants to use Debo Samuel and they're like, all right, we're not going to put you in the backfield anymore. We're not going to motion you anywhere. We're just going to put you on the outside and maybe run some option routes or stuff to try to fool people. Can he do it? Probably. I think he'd be a very productive receiver in that type of an offense. Would he be anywhere near as good or as valuable as he is right now in that type of offense that he's running in San Francisco? No, not remotely. So if you're a team that's trying to pick him up, you got to have a plan. That's all it is. Exactly. Now, two things you brought up that brought, brought, brought bad memories to me as far as a Bengals fan. As you're saying, you know, you, you don't draft Lamar Jackson and, and, and try to make him a, a drop back pocket passer. Well, that's exactly what the Bengals did back in 1992 when they drafted David Klingler, who was a run and shoot quarterback and wanted to make him a drop back passer. And then what you're saying about the wide receivers leaving, TJ Husmanzada here had one of his best years. And I want to say 07, I think it was. I can't remember exactly. And then he left and took off for more money to Seattle. When Seattle at the time didn't have a quarterback and he never really had a great year again. So, yes, you and every player, you have to have the scheme fit them i mean it, it just just like lou anarumo's defense this year you know last two years ago i'm calling him armadillo i don't know what he's trying to do i'm like it, it's not working we can't cover the tight end we can't get any pressure on the quarterback we can't get this well he finally got his guys in the building that believe in what he's saying and could do what he's asking them to do and the coaches have puts them in the right position to succeed and we take it all the way to the super bowl so it's definitely no matter if you're drafted first or last the scheme has to has to fit what you do, and if they get that wrong, it doesn't matter how good the, good the player is. It, it's probably not going to be successful. Exactly, and it's really unfortunate for players they get drafted to a team that's unwilling to use them to their strengths. We actually saw that a few years ago with Kyle Van Noy with the Detroit Lions when they picked him up because they they just didn't use him how he should have been used. Kyle Van Noy needed to be on the edge. And being able to blitz and use him as a pass rusher interchangeably and covering the running backs in the backfield. The Lions were like, nah, he's an off-ball guy. We're going to put him off-ball and use him back there. Completely wasted the first couple of years of his career. Um, he went to a team that was able to use him much better. He found quite a bit more success. You know, it, it does take that change of scenery, and it's really unfortunate. Sometimes guys don't ever get that opportunity. 
All right, so we've talked a ton about the, the first-round pick and, and how I really want them to, to draft Tyler Lindenbaum. Now, if they do that, I think second round and possibly third round has got to be in your the Bengals' secondary. Um, now, not, neither one of these guys are going to be there, but let's just talk about, um, just for instance, if Linderbaum's not there, uh, two guys I've heard about is, is Booth and Elam. Now, like I said, I think both of them, they they could drop to the second round, but they're not going to go far enough back to, for the Bengals to pick up in the second round. They're probably going to be first-rounders. Out of those two, and that's why I keep asking, because I get so many different answers from everybody of, they're the Booth guys or the Elam guys, or they're neither. Um, where are you at? So I bounced around quite a bit on my cornerbacks. Um, Gardner's been my number one cornerback for quite a long time. Uh, but my my two through six has changed a lot, like interchanged quite a few guys. I've moved Stingley around. I've moved Booth. Um, I had McDuffie in there, who actually might be a, a good option for the Bengals. I think he might actually even still be there. Um, you know, it's, it's really hard because this is such a good cornerback class and it's one of those pick your poison types things. It's what, what kind of guys do you want to get? Um, I think both, both Booth and Elam are very talented cornerbacks. I have Booth over Elam right now. Um, but like I said, I've moved those guys around quite a bit and it, it, it's more, what mood do I happen to be in at the time than which guy I think is more talented. Right now. Okay. I have to ask this question because I'm a a university of Cincinnati Bearcat fan. And I, I love it. Sasha Gardner, I think he should, he's going to be the, the first cornerback to go off the board. I mean, I there's talk he might be the second pick. I don't know. We'll see that. Thir- he won't go two, but three. I think, he's, I think he's got a really big shot to go three. There you go. Now, my other question is Kobe Bryant. Where do you have him? At? I, I personally thought he'd be a second rounder, but the more this draft process goes around, people are saying he's more like a third rounder or fourth rounder. And to me, if he's there, I think it's an absolute steal. And the reason I say that is because nobody – Threw to Sauce. Everybody threw at Kobe, and he held his own, and he won the award for the best cornerback in college football. So he did something right. <laughs> yeah, cornerback is one of those tough ones for me when it comes to a testing standpoint because there's there aren't nearly as many good examples of of successful NFL corners who didn't test well than there are the elite tier athletes. Um, I did a run of cornerbacks, I think yesterday. Um, and the average Pro Bowl cornerback had a RAS over eight or almost eight. I think it was like 7.92 or something. And Kobe Bryant's only got a 5.59. He didn't run a very good 40. He didn't t- test very well in agilities. His cone was really bad. Um, he didn't do very well in his explosiveness drills. He's just a bigger cornerback. Um, and he doesn't have long arms either. His, arm, his arms aren't short, but they're, they're not really long. So you, you, we go back to that length discussion of, of covering ground and being able to cover space. I don't know that an, a cornerback who isn't very explosive can make it very well in a zone def- defense, doing zone types of stuff. You got to be explosive right. if you're going to be a zone defender. Um, if you're not fast or quick, I don't know how you win in a man scheme. So you have a guy that tests like that. You have to go back to tape and you have to really trust that tape because that projection doesn't look as good. Right. Um, I think that's in that's contributing to him falling a little bit. I think that could help lead to him being what you refer to as the steal, you know, a guy that you pick up a little bit later than you would have expected. Um, I think that that's probably what he would end up being. I don't know how well that projects to the NFL. Um, and it's really tough to watch him because sauce is on the other side. He's just so good. <laughs> Dude, he, he was so much fun to watch. I mean, they, they literally didn't throw. I mean, they, no. he never gave a, a touchdown up. And it's whole college career. Never. Yeah, I, don't, 
Good. I'm sure you've seen that that quote about him where they asked that that coach how they schemed for him and they were just like we we don't we just put some <laughs> we just put some scrub on him and and go elsewhere right. like exactly it's weird how the ultimate respect for a cornerback is a coach not even bothering to to scheme for you they're just like nah 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 we're just gonna, wherever he is well, we're gonna we're gonna throw whoever else out there a guy we're, we know is not gonna be targeted right. we'll throw him out there that's yeah. that's what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. That guy's there. Yeah, we're not going that way. Yeah, no. <laughs> All right. So another another uh, thing that the Bengals might be looking at in later rounds is a tight end position. They did sign Hayden Hurst in in the offseason to replace CJ Uzama, um, and I think Hayden Hurst is going to be have a breakout year for the Bengals. Hopefully, and he might be one and done. That that brings you to where the Bengals uh, could possibly pick up a tight end in the later rounds. And um, Paul Daniel Jr. was saying, I think it was when you were on the show with him. I'm, I can't remember. But he was saying that a lot of these elite tight ends they have now were not the first tight end taken in the draft. They were the second, third, you know, not, not round, just tight end overall taken. Now, my question is, where do you see the tight end uh, class, you know, you know, ranked one to two? And where do you think maybe the Bengals might be able to pick up a good one in the I don't know, maybe third, fourth round somewhere in there? This is a great tight end class. There isn't the meat that you have at the top, right? There's there's no Kyle Pitts in this class, and there isn't even really a Noah Fant in this class, a guy that you can really, really rely on as being that that lead uh, receiving option. And I don't think any of these guys are going to contribute immediately out the gate. Most tight ends don't. So if you guys do draft a tight end, don't worry if their rookie year isn't that great. That's normal, right? That's, that's every other tight end in the universe not named Pitts. Right. Um, but... Uh, I, I really do like this tight end class. I think it's a very talented one. There's a lot of really good guys. Um, we already talked about Jelani Woods. Daniel Bellinger is finally starting to get some steam. Um, he had one of the best combines uh, of any player there. If it wasn't for Jelani Woods, Daniel Bellinger would be the guy that everybody was talking about. Um, we also have Andrew Ogletree out of Youngstown, Youngstown State, um, who's a, a much more athletic uh, tight end than a lot of people had considered. I think he's got a shot to come in in that, that fifth to seventh round, the day three type. Um, a guy that I didn't expect to be talking about as much was Charlie Kohler um, out of Iowa State. Charlie Kohler did not look like a player who was going to test well. And then he did. He tested out um, with a 9.11 Raz out of 10, which is phenomenal, especially for a guy that people were like, I'm sh- I, wouldn't, I wouldn't expect him to even hit five. And then he has over nine. That's crazy. So you go back to his tape and you wonder, why does he look a little bit sluggish? Sometimes it's just the offensive scheme. And you gotta you gotta really figure out what they're being asked to do because they're not asked to to go flying up the seam. Then they don't need to fly up the seam. They don't need to show you that speed and explosiveness as much. Um, Peyton Hendershot out of Indiana is another guy I think that that could get some play in the later rounds. Um, Trey McBride though is my number one and has been for pretty much the entire period. Um, one of the big questions about him was whether or not he had the speed to match up with NFL defenders. Mm-hmm. He ran a four five six at his pro day plenty fast enough yeah. way way faster than anybody expected i think uh-huh. um really did himself a lot of favors and pushed himself up some draft boards um and my favorite tight end actually didn't even test well and this is where i get to i get to i get to talk about when you go against your own numbers right mm-hmm. when do you look okay. at your own math right and and question it right. and then we get isaiah likely i didn't expect isaiah likely to test poorly he did Right. Um, he didn't run a very good 40. His agility drills were poor. He had great, great explosive drills, which didn't surprise me at all. Um, but it's just not a good, not a good resume to have, right? There's, there's no good track record for tight ends who didn't test well. Um, every other position in the NFL, I can give you offhand 
a player that I know of off the top of my head who found success in the NFL and didn't test well. And I can usually tell you why I think that is, why I think that they were able to find some success where most guys who test poorly aren't able to. I don't have that success story at tight end. So I can't sit here and be like, well, you know, this is the guy I think he could model his game after. This is how I think he could win. I don't have that at tight end because that, that player just doesn't exist. Right. So I wish there was. But <laughs> if there was a player I think is going to buck a trend, it would be Isaiah Likely um, out of Coastal Carolina. Um, I, I really love his tape. That explosiveness is where he wins, and he tested fantastic there. Um, I wish he had tested better in the other drills, but um, I'm I'm – not going to say I'm confident. I'm hopeful that he's able to be the guy that bucks that trend. Yeah. Hey, maybe, maybe we'll get lucky and uh, he'll be there for the Bengals. We can draft him and we get a, a diamond in the rough. Now, um, did you did you mention the, and I can't I name slits my mind again. There's so many names bobble in my head. Uh, but the tight end out of Ohio State who hurt himself on, on a senior or a, um, yeah, the senior bowl. Jeremy Rucker. Thank you. Yes, Rucker. Yes. Uh, it, it, now, my personal opinion is. I don't. I, I think he's better a better receiver than than he got a chance to do at Ohio State because of the great wide receivers that Ohio State have. And I know he didn't get to do any of the testing, and basically that foot injury knocked him out of yeah. everything. So I know it's really hurt him. So that's a guy. How can you evaluate him? Because it looks like he could be a good good receiver, but he didn't really get to show it that much in Ohio State, and now he hasn't been able to really test at, basically at all. So how do you go about uh, uh, evaluate evaluating a guy like that? You got to take the math hat off and you got to put your evaluator hat back on. In my case, they're both bowlers. Um, <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like but it. you got to, you've got to, you've got to just really trust what you're seeing on the tape. You know, the, the, I mentioned before, the testing is supposed to confirm what you're seeing about a player on tape. You don't have that option if a player is injured and unable to test. Right. Um, Joe Burrow didn't test. We were still able to tell that he was an athletic player. We knew what he was able to do on the football field with his legs. Um, we didn't have to question whether or not he was athletic. Lamar Jackson didn't test. Kyler Murray didn't test. Lots of guys don't test, and we're able to still tell they're pretty athletic. That's not the case that we're in with Jeremy Rucker. Right. Because even though he looks pretty athletic, he doesn't look like a great athlete. He doesn't look like that elite-tier athlete that you want um, playing every Sunday. So do you think that he's good enough at everything to be able to be a successful in the NFL? Um, what really works in his favor, though, is that Jeremy Rucker doesn't look like he's a bad anything. Right. He's not a bad blocker. He, right. isn't, he isn't slow. He's not not agile. He's not inexplosive. So he doesn't look like he has any significant weaknesses to his game. And everything that he does, he does at least okay. So is there a role for him in the NFL? Absolutely. Is he going to be a number one tight end? That's where you got to really trust what you're watching on tape. Yeah, and that's where I think the Bengals are in a good spot because they have Hayden Hurst. So if you can take a, a tight end that that you know could take a year like you just said it takes a year or two sometimes to get a tight end to, to where you know he's is comfortable in in, in the system everything i mean for instance look at cj uzama i mean his best year was last year for us and he was i think that was his fourth year fifth year here yeah. so it, it does take a little while sometimes so hopefully the Bengals can actually get a guy because i do think they're going to try to address the tight end position because like i said hayden hurst isn't isn't here that long and we uh have Drew Sample, who we've seen what Drew Sample is. Drew Sample is a very good blocker, not much of a, of a receiver. So that's where I think they could go there. Now, it's bringing me to safeties, another position that the uh, Bengals could potentially go because we have Jesse Bates, who is on a franchise tag and may or may not be here next year. And then we have uh, Von Bill, who's also, his contract is coming up. 
And you also we got Eli Apple, which is, I know that's safeties, but that's cornerback. But secondaries, but but in safeties in general, I know the the kid from Notre Dame is is ranked the the highest one. Where where is his safety class at? Excuse me. Um, it's a pretty good safety class. Um, it's, I think it would be an, what would you consider an underrated safety class. So you you don't have that real big cream of the crop outside of Hamilton. Um, your next group of guys is probably Lewis Seen out of Georgia and uh, Daxton Hill out of Michigan, who are very good safety prospects. Um, you've got a pretty meaty day two group there, guys that you can pick up in day two and hope that they're going to be uh, pretty, pretty uh, productive for you. Uh, Nick Cross out of Maryland's a guy I think might jump into that day two conversation. Um, he he might still be a little bit too raw for some folks. Uh, Dane Belton out of Iowa, same same type of thing where he might might jump into day two, but some people might still think he's a little bit too raw. Uh, Jaquan Brisker out of Penn State's another guy that we think you might look at in the day two and very athletic guy. He's from Penn State. They're all super athletes there. Um, something in the water, who knows? Um, one of my favorite players though, I, I like, I like hybrid guys when you can see a role for them. Right. Um, it's you, you have, that's the difference, right? The difference is if, if you, if you know what he's going to do, he's a hybrid player. Right. If you don't know what he's going to do, he's a tweener. So <laughs> we, we like to use our superlatives. Right. right exactly. Um, <laughs> Sterling Weatherford out of uh, Miami, Ohio. Um, is one of those guys I think that has a very, very defined role in what he can do as a linebacker, strong safety type. You can put him in coverage. You put him up there to, to punch a running back in the mouth. He can take on blockers. He's got a very defined type of role, I think, that you can use him for. Um, Jalen Petrie out of Baylor is another type of guy, more of a, a safety uh, slot corner type of player. Mm-hmm. Um, but a very defined role where you can see what you can do with him um, and was one of the funnest players to watch down on the Senior Bowl. I, I remember uh, this, and he's smaller. He's a smaller safety. Most of the guys, you know, you think of safety as as the bigger corners, right? Guys that'll hit you. Um, he's he's not a bigger corner. He's he's right. fairly small. Um, but he was punching everybody in the mouth. He was making everybody hurt every time they did blocking drills. The only guy that was able to push him around was Trey McBride, who is a tight end and significantly larger. I think he has <laughs> forty or fifty pounds on Petrie. So. Um, those are the guys I think you might look out for in your day two, early day three type of group. Yeah, Petrie, a lot of times when I was doing the mock drafts at the beginning of this whole thing through PFF, he was coming up a lot, and, and that's that's where I, I he got him on my radar just looking at, at the mock drafts. Now, I, I got to geek out here because last year the, the Bengals did something crazy and they drafted a, a kicker in the fifth round. Now, again, I was doing mock drafts, and this guy, Matt Ariza, kept coming up. Pick, okay. kicker out of Arizona or excuse me out of San Diego State. I'm like, why does he keep coming up? Why you know every time I do this, it keeps coming up. So I finally went and looked up his videos. And he is one of the best kickers I've ever seen in my freaking life. And I, I mean, I mean the, the way the air he gets under the ball, how far he kicks it, the height, and hell he goes down and tackles guys himself. <laughs> what what I would love the Bengals to get get him in the you know fifth or sixth round. What is your thoughts on drafting a kicker in the draft period some people say you don't do it some people say you can what, what's your thoughts and what's your thoughts on on Ariza? so the joke the joke about punters and kickers and long snappers is you never draft them because you can just get an undrafted guy that's the big argument right and the reason for that is there's all these success cases for for punters and kickers and long snappers who are undrafted and that's totally true but a bit unfair because a vast majority of punters, kickers, and long snappers are undrafted. 
So of course the vast majority of your successes are going to be undrafted guys. That that should go without saying. Right. Right. The higher profile failures at kickers and punters are guys that were drafted. And the only reason they're high profile is because they were drafted. If they weren't, nobody would ever bat an eye, right? So it gives you this weird false impression that drafting a specialist is a bad idea. If you need a player at a position, draft a player at that position. If you need a gunner for your special teams unit, a vast majority of those guys are undrafted. But if you need one and you find one, go draft him. Go do it. It's, It's perfectly acceptable to draft a position. Day three, the hit rate on day three is poor at every single position. Mm-hmm. Poor to bad. Right? Right. There is no there is no good hit rate on day three. So go get a guy you need. The sixth and seventh rounds are dibs on undrafted free agents. Right. That's, that's what it is to me. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds disparaging for sixth and seventh round picks, saying, well, they're basically undrafted free agents, right? Uh, but they really are. And that's that's not a, a knock on the players. It's just an understanding of how draft economy works. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually heard Matt Ariza could go as high as day two, mm-hmm. which would be surprising. But like you said, he's he's got a leg. And yeah. Unbelievable. If, <laughs> if he did go day two, it wouldn't really surprise me. We have seen it before. It doesn't happen often. Um, I think the last one was uh, the kicker out of Florida State that went to uh, – Tampa, right? And then the Jaguars had a punter, which was Matt Anger, I think it was, um, a couple of years back, I think was round three. So it it has happened in fairly recent memory. It doesn't happen often, probably with good reason. Uh, (laughs) But if your team needs a player for a position, go draft that player. Don't don't let somebody else draft that player. Now, now question, how do you do, what are the analytics on a kicker? How do you you even evaluate that? I mean, I know uh, it kicks the ball far. Great. I mean, is there is there other more you know tactical stuff there than than we're even thinking? There is. Um, I track the physical testing metrics because I do that for everything, and it's a bit of a joke for specialists, but not a not a haha. We're making fun of them just because. Why not? Right. We, the system's in place. We may as well go ahead and track their metrics. Uh, Matt Ariza had a nine point four nine RAS out of ten. There so. You go. I don't know if that matters. Probably not. <laughs> I, I'm almost certain it means nothing. But it's fun, right? Right. To have some fun well, with it. You know, this is what this would kill me. I, I actually went to to the combine for the first time, and I was actually I wanted to see him kick. I was I was like I really I'm like I, I was telling my son I'm like this is silly, but I'm really excited to see the the the, the punters kick. Well, we didn't get in there in time to see it. They they had yeah. him kick before we even got there. I'm like oh crud. I'm like I want to see him. Yeah, a lot of the stuff you're really scouting when you're looking at a punter, though, is is really in-depth, specific to that specialist unit. Because you want to pay attention to how long it takes him to kick from when he gets that ball, whether he takes two steps or three. Nobody takes three steps anymore. It's a bad bad sign if you do. I know being a tall punter can be a negative because it, it elongates your kick and can make your kick take longer. Right. Um, you want to look at a player's hang time, how long the ball is in the air. The distance is fantastic. You want distance, obviously, but you want control too. You don't want to kick it out of bounds, you know, 30 yards downfield because now you just wasted a good punt. Right. Um, it's not necessarily you're going to get a coffin corner kick every time. And those don't even happen all that often anymore. Right. Um, it's great when you have a guy that can do it, but you're really looking for control for hang time. Um, and that's usually indicated by a player's net punting average when you're looking at actual statistics not always it, it's it varies by player and the opportunities that they get 
bad teams tend to look like they have good punters because they get to do their job <laughs> they get, a lot. Right. They get to punt a lot. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, this has been fun. I really enjoyed having you having you on. We'll definitely have to do this again, like maybe, I don't know, after the draft or right before the season starts or something like that. Sure. But uh, tell everybody where they can follow you, tell you about Raz and everything else you got going on before I let you go. Sure. Anybody can follow me. I'm on Twitter at MathBomb. Um, I'm always accessible. We've got a really big, big push up to the draft. We're doing pro bowlers at most positions. I think I did uh, sack artists today. I'll be doing linebackers tomorrow, quarterbacks on Friday, and then offensive uh, positions all of next week leading up to the draft. Um, you can go to my website at ras.football, ras.football. You can look up any player from 1987 to 2022 and check out where they ranked against their peers. Um, and you can check out the mock draft simulator at pro, pro football network. That's where I do a lot of my development work nowadays. Um, I don't do any writing anymore because it's all development work and coding and stuff. Uh, but if you want to show some support, go check me out on Twitter, go check out the website and, and let me know how you like it. Absolutely. Well, math bomb, Kent, it was a pleasure meeting you. I'm definitely gonna have to get you on the show again. And this was fun. I, I enjoyed this. I, I really do. I want to my goal every time, especially talking <laughs> about punters, man. We, I love talking about punters. <laughs> anyway, take it easy, man. Later on. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. That's it. We're going to geek out today. We're going to we're going to do some uh, some analytics. And you guys watch the show. Me and Matt don't get along, but I do enjoy uh, talking to guys who who know more about it than I do. I do think it's interesting to to listen to it. All right, so let's get to the uh, Facebook groups that let me live stream, and I appreciate every single one of them. They're Hootay Nation, Hootay Legion, Bearcat Ruckus, Bearcat Country, Cincinnati Reds, Riding Third, Heading for Home. The Ohio State Bucknuts, the Ice Bar. And then you can follow me on all my social media platforms, all under Sports with Strawberry Ice. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Twitter handle is at Jeff A. Trenopole. TikTok is at Iceman90. If you missed any of this stuff and you just want to listen to me and Matt talk, check it out on the podcast. It's on BeanPod, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher Play, pretty much wherever you get your podcast please make sure you rate like and review like if you're on spotify they got the little thing up the corner it says five star bam hit it go one two three four five hit five stars for me i would greatly appreciate it leave a comment so hopefully more Cincinnati fans can find my podcast again i would greatly appreciate it youtubers are at 1584 subscribers you guys are awesome i appreciate every single one of you guys tell your friends tell your neighbors about sports with strawberry so let's keep this thing rolling let's try to get to 2000 subscribers hopefully by the time the football season Rolls around. If not sooner, that would be great. And as always, I'm not going to be able to play the outro because, well, it messed up. So <laughs> you guys, we're going to just do a cold outro. That's all it's going to be. But I will see you guys tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow. I have a, I'm going to record an interview with uh, the great Chris Welch, the Reds broadcaster. And I have Matt Minnick live on the show tomorrow. So we got a lot of big stuff coming for you tomorrow. So make sure you check it out. Other than that, that's just sports, baby. See ya!